is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, join my co host, Dan. No, Nick, he's continuing uh, a little PTO, which he has earned. Uh, but, Dan, we've got a Matt Law special today. It's been a little bit. Well, welcome, Matt. And uh, just after uh, Father's Day, we learned that you got a little bit of uh, R&R, a little golf action going. And, uh, you know, you're ready to challenge Tiger and head on the tour. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Tiger, I'm coming for you. And Matt Fitzpatrick who's carrying the flag for, for Great Britain again. That was, uh, I didn't watch it last night, but it sounded an amazing US Open win by him. So that was good. Yeah. Well, don't worry. This will not be a golf pod, I, although <laughs> it would be extremely ironic that Nick would miss a golf pod uh, as he's our resident golfer. Uh, but look, we're going to be checking in with Matt on all the latest of Chelsea's activities taking place uh, in order to assemble a squad for the 2022-23 season and maybe some breaking news, which you probably all have seen by now. So... Uh, right away, look, Dan, Bruce Buck uh, has officially stepped down. Um, we, we had talked with a couple of people, I think, about this. There's definitely some always big conversations when there's new owners, what happens with the board and some of the high-level executives, and now we're starting to see those pieces come together. Well, we did see it confirmed on the club's website, indicating that uh, they have announced Bruce Buck, who has served as been just if you forget, since 2003, will be stepping down from his role effective the 30th of June. And he's continuing to support the club as a senior advisor. Uh, Matt, uh, expected news, as it were, relating to Bruce and his position in this kind of transition? Yeah, it was always a matter of when and not if that, that Bruce would, would have to step down. Um, I know back earlier in the process before the sale was complete, there was a school of thought that maybe he would stay on for six months to a year to help a transition period. I think in the last kind of month, a little bit before the transaction was actually complete, it started to turn that did. I, I just spoke to you, Dan, that when, when you guys came over to London, we spoke about it, that there'd begun to become a feel that that probably it was going to be sooner rather than later in actual fact when, when he stood aside. And look, he's 76 years old. He's been in that that chairmanship since 2003, 19 years. Um, the new the new owners have got new ways of doing things. If they've Todd Bowley's been extremely hands on, I'm told he will be chairman. He obviously fancies doing that challenge. Maybe he needed a couple of weeks to to make sure that that was something he was ready to take on of of sort of doing the job without the title, as it were. Um, and it feels like they've got in, looked at it, assessed things and decided, you know what, we, we think we can handle this. And therefore, there's no point prolonging any agony. I'm told there's no fallouts, no problems. As I say, 76. And it's it's a natural progression. So that one, I think everybody had become, a, a, was expecting it. Like I say, it was it was when, not if. And as the headline or kind of the, the intro paragraph says, he will continue to support the club as a senior advisor. Again, this is sounds like very much a transitional role. Uh, he'll be around. Essentially, you can give him a ring as needed. Uh, he'll still have a, a compensation package for a few months, uh, you know, just to make sure that nothing slips through the cracks as far as like, uh, oh, wait, where's that file? Oh, Bruce has it. Yeah. Look, it's very nice saying the special advisor thing, but I I don't think that means an awful lot, to be quite honest with you. That that's a, a title that. for title's sake. Yeah, and just a little, I think, a nod to the services given the club more than anything. Of of let's let's not just cut ties. Let's actually let's sort of show 
that we appreciate how much hard work and, and dedication he's put into the club. So I think that's more for show than anything in reality, to be quite honest with you. And I don't think anyone will be too upset with me saying that. There was the quote from Todd Bowley in the statement indicating that Bruce has led Chelsea Football Club to the highest levels of international and domestic football while also developing one of the most active social responsibility projects in sport. We thank Bruce for his service and commitment to football, and they are referencing the fact in 2010 that Bruce, as trustee and chairman, helped establish the Chelsea FC Foundation, supporting the broad range of initiatives, including access to youth athletics, hosting education and employment programs, and leading anti-discrimination campaigns. I think think his work with the the foundation and a lot of the charitable work Chelsea have do and continue to do will probably actually be one of his main legacies. I know obviously a lot will center on his around the fact that he came in at the same time as, as Roman Abramovich and he was sort of his chairman as he were. But actually I think within the club and people who work closely with him will, will probably acknowledge that a lot of the foundation and, and as I say, charity work and, and and work away some of the work away from what we might call the football is is a massive part of his of his legacy unfortunately in the last couple of years it's, it's probably worth mentioning that there have been decisions that have been attributed to him rightly or wrongly that haven't gone well you know the super league the the announcement on the behind closed door tickets very recently on the middlesbrough game um there are a few bits and bobs which i think the last couple of years has brought into question some of the decision-making, but maybe it's unfair to, to solely blame him for those. Um, but those who've worked with him, I think, will always talk very, very highly with him. And I know a lot of the supporters, I've spoken to the supporters groups, actually, about Bruce, because he's a polarising figure among fans. Among the general fans, he's quite a polarising figure. A lot of people probably greeted this news by celebrating it slightly today, which is probably a bit harsh. And I know the supporter groups have always valued Bruce. He might not speak an awful lot publicly, but I know he does a lot of private speaking with them and, and does it in places like pubs very in very relaxed atmospheres. And I know that's always been appreciated. I also know that he was like the big Premier League uh, representative for the club and sounded like he had a lot of sway there. So um, pre-Super League, to your point. Uh, but then double down in a Matlock exclusive, Marina Granovskaya is set to leave Chelsea following the Bruce Buck exit. Uh, this is the big one today on, on Monday, the 20th of June. Yeah, look, um, as I wrote, she's she she is following him out. She is going. I expect it to be before the transfer window shuts, although the exact timing of it hasn't been confirmed. I think there will probably be some clarity over that within the next few days, maybe by the end of the week. Um, but yeah, Marina is now definitely going. I know that for sure, even though the club haven't said it. Um, and yeah, I, I am told that it's more likely to be sooner rather than later. Um, again... I think like the Bruce situation, I think all parties have had a chance to work with each other for a couple of weeks, see how much they need each other, see how much the roles have changed. Marina's role has undoubtedly changed. You know, I I can't remember whether we spoke about it on a pod or not, but I wrote about the fact that that Tuchel has been given a lot more power in the transfer window. It's more him and Bowley, to be quite honest with you. Bowley told Tuchel that he will try and deliver anything he wants. And that's obviously changed Marina's position with that, in that. And similarly... Uh, Bowley's obviously decided that he thinks certainly in the short term he can he can take this on because they're not going to they will I'm pretty sure they will eventually appoint a sporting director um I'm also pretty sure it'd be very difficult to get anybody in in time for this window so I think Todd Bowley's probably felt that along with Thomas Tuchel and, and some supporting staff that they can get through this window Marina's probably looked at it and, and felt that 
it's it's a good time to finish again. I, I don't think there's been any rouse or fallout. The fact she stayed on past the takeover for a bit would demonstrate that. It seems like a natural split, but I'm a bit surprised. It looks like it is going to be the end of the before the end of the transfer window because my my thought up to probably a fortnight ago was that she'd probably see out the transfer window, and then then the noises started to change, and and she will go, and that that is just a, sesm- a seismic change for. Chelsea you know on an operational level at football that will just be a huge change I mean there will be a lot of football agents who won't be quite sure who to ring now um she she ran the club you know she decided on contracts she decided transfers every football aspect she she pretty much needed her sign off so in terms of the football side of the club her departure will be the biggest operational change well, in the last since Roman Abramovich took over the club, no more Marina Granovskaya new signing photos. An end of an era. Quite, quite. I think it's going to go very much in the short term towards. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Thomas Tuchel starts being pictured with all the signs. I think there's going to be a big push to show that it's it's him leading leading the way now. Um, I think that's in part through circumstance and in part through wanting to try and follow the the Liverpool and Manchester City way thinking where the coach leads from the front. He doesn't get to make every single decision. And obviously there's negotiations to be held within the club over targets and things like that. It's not like one guy just says, but it's very much led from the coach and City and Liverpool have done that. And I think there's a feeling among the new owners that 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 is going to be their best way now to, to try and catch them. The other point of course, is where this leaves Petr Cech, which at the moment is unclear. Um, because you wonder whether a deck of cards will start to fall slightly and maybe he could he could follow Bruce and Marina out or does he does he decide to stay and go it alone? So Matt, just in terms of timing then, um, when did it kind of become clear that this transition was going to take place? Because you also mentioned that Todd has been leading some of the player negotiations now as it relates specifically to Lukaku, who we'll talk about shortly. Is it more something that's come to shape over the last one or two weeks or is this more a recent change in thinking now that the parties have assessed one another or assessed the opportunity? I think just over the last kind of fortnight, I think there's been a fortnight where the real work has started, particularly over Lukaku um, and over season tickets and things. I mean, look, there are, there are two very obvious examples here. In terms of Bruce, we saw a season ticket announcement last week from the new owners that changed the pricing on the Westview stand that Bruce had pretty much helped set along with those responsible for that and signed off. So the new owners had a different view on one of their first big decisions regarding season tickets and ticket pricing. So that showed immediately that they were going to do their thing on on that and were happy to to take responsibility on that. That probably told you all you needed to know on where where things were going to head with with Bruce. Secondly, on Lukaku, um, a week or so ago, Petr Cech came out with an interview and, and, and said that he was looking forward to Romelu Lukaku's second season at Chelsea and that Romelu Lukaku is going to be a great success. And I think that probably gives you an indication as to where Marina and Petr Cech were, were thinking the Lukaku situation might be the best way to go in terms of trying to keep him and trying to make it work. Todd Bowley had come in and had spoken to, to Thomas Tuchel and, and kind of said, look, it's your call. We're going to deliver what you want to do. It's your call. He got Romelu Lukaku in. Romelu Lukaku made it absolutely plainly clear um, that in his mind, there was only one option that he wanted to leave. So there was no thought process for him of let's make it work. And, and Todd Bowley set the wheels in motion. And Todd Bowley through Rock Nation, who he has a 
a connection with already who are big, probably bigger in America than they are in Europe, um, could get those wheels in motion with Lukaku because Rock Nation helped look after him. So again, massive indicator of where this was heading. Um, and I just think over the, and I, again, people have different opinions. It doesn't mean there's big fallouts or big problems, but it, it showed that the new ownership and Todd Bowley are going to do things their way and going to do it. A, they are going to do it a different way. You know, it's going to be a, a bit different. And as long as they feel they can handle it, and as long as they feel they've they've got the time to do it, um, which Todd seems to have certainly, particularly seems to have dedicated himself to it. You know, Chelsea's become his sort of day to day job. Um, they don't need people hanging around for hanging around's sake. And and Bruce Buck and Marina Ground Sky would not want to hang around for hanging around's sake either. Totally, totally get that. Um, well, look, we always knew it was going to be a lot of, uh, you know, changing. We had no idea what the timeline was. But Matt, thank you for kind of breaking this down and, and explaining how this transition is going. I mean, the, anytime there's a change, uh, even if it's like the cook right now, Chelsea fans are like, wait, what? What's going on? So um, we're going to take our break. Uh, but when we get back, we're going right into the Lukaku news. So thank you to sponsors for financially supporting the show and we'll be right back all right our next partner has a product that i use literally every day i started taking ag1 because well it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in you know we're all focused on our macros with protein carbs and, and fat and now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables it's just hard to eat that many servings a day so uh, i started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient i'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system so what is this stuff well with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food sourced superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, that's right, Dan, as you teased earlier, Big Rom seems to be in about one out of every four to five tweets on my timeline right now. Strong ratios from that man. Oh, I, I did say uh, instead of look who's back, uh, it's uh, look who's gone, Matt. Uh, we're, we're kind of wanting to wonder how close the Lukaku is to a stage right exit from Chelsea back to Inter, as it seems like every day we're inching closer and closer to a outcome that involves Lukaku being back at Inter for the start of next season. Yeah, it's when it's when and not if now. Um, he's right on the brink of it of it happening. Over the weekend, the, the talk started for the first time last week, as I reported. They accelerated extremely quickly, given last week was the first time the two clubs had actually spoken about it. Um, Inter had had actually hoped to get the 
agreement in principle by, by the end of the week, which they nearly did. I mean, yesterday on Sunday, I think Chelsea sent a final proposal over to Inter to say, look, this is this is our terms, no more negotiating. Um, and it wasn't far off what Inter were already sort of thinking they would do. Um, and it's just waiting for the Inter sign-off now. I think there'll probably be a little bit more to and fro, but I mean, by the time this pod goes out, it could have been confirmed. We're, we're on Monday now. I get the sense probably it won't be confirmed Monday, although it could be. Um, but Tuesday, Tuesday easily, it could be confirmed. But it, it, it's happening. It's, it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, it, it's done. There's just a little bit of wrangling over the nitty-gritty. Matt, from your understanding of how it should look or where the kind of terms are that are going to make each side feel okay about it and probably enter feeling more okay than Chelsea does because there's a little bit of swallowing a bad decision. What What is that going to look like in your mind or your understanding of how that contract is going to be? Look, this this will these things always become a bit clearer once they're done, but I'll tell you what I think now and it's subject to probably a little bit of change. So there will be a loan fee, a straight loan fee of probably around eight to 10 million pounds, give or take some add-ons. Um, that's about sort of half of what Lukaku costs on the books each year in terms of amortization and, and FFP. Now, last week when they first started talking, the plan I think was for Chelsea to try and pay a portion of his wages and for Romelu himself to take a wage cut. What I think has developed over the course of the talks, which for this part at least does fall in Chelsea's favour, is I get I I'm being told that now it's likely Chelsea won't have to pay any wages um, and that Romelu will actually take a bigger wage cut for a year than he was previously going to take. And so Inter will be paying his wage. So Chelsea won't be paying any of his wages for the season he's on loan. I don't think there will be an obligation to buy him included in it because I don't think at the moment Inter can afford to actually write in an obligation to buy it. I think it will be a straight one-year loan I doubt whether there's any expectation of him ever really coming back to play for Chelsea, but at, at the end of that loan, a new agreement will have to be found. I think there's been a rule change this summer as well, which actually precludes two season loans. So whether they then just try and do another season loan before buying him, because I had heard a while ago that Inter had been interested in a two season loan. And I didn't realize actually at that time that there had been a rule change where you can't loan players for two seasons anymore. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's the terms of it. So, I, I, like I say, eight to ten million pound loan fee, Lukaku taking a hefty wage cut, maybe as much as forty percent, and but Chelsea, I think, have probably negotiated themselves into a, into a situation where they won't be at least paying any of his wages. I guess in terms of the best you could hope for type of scenario, this is something you would underline as best possible scenario for Chelsea in this regard. I don't look. I don't think we can sugarcoat it. It's catastrophic. It's a catastrophic deal. To pay 95.7, sorry, 97.5 million for, for someone one summer and loan him out on a one-year loan for 10, 10 million pounds the following summer back to the place you bought him is catastrophic. I, there's just no way of sugarcoating it. There's no way of making it nice or anyone feel better about it. It's just gone horribly wrong. Like I say, I think, I think Romelu has driven this if Romelu had gone into those talks with, with Todd Bowley, I, I don't think they were face-to-face. I think they're probably virtual. Well, I, they could have been face-to-face, but I think they were virtual rather than in person. If Romelu had gone into those talks and shown a desire to make the move work, I think that Todd and Thomas Tuchel may well have 
try to make it work for another year. But I'm told that, that Romelu Lukaku went into that meeting with such a determination that in his eyes, the only solution was to move back, that it was felt that there was really no other option, that it would just be a toxic situation uh, for a new ownership at a very sensitive time. And it would also impact on, on Chelsea's incoming transfer business too. Um, I mean, you might have, you, you'd, if he'd have stayed, you'd have probably found a situation down the line where he wasn't even getting in the squad, I think, because such was his mindset and then therefore what how that was likely to play out. So they had to find a solution, but I don't think you can call it a good solution. There isn't a good solution in this. It kind of reminds me of like the Thibaut Courtois leaving to Madrid and then having to like panic buy Kepa, um, you know, the Diego Costa situation, Antonio Conte, where it just drug out until you're like, wait, it's the transfer window is about to end. Like we got to do something. At least it seems like there's very like swift, decisive action, you know, in this sense. And and again, maybe it's first season kind of situation. Like, look, if we got to cut, let's cut and move on. But I, I guess I'm surprised at how quickly this has moved. So like credit to all parties involved if they're able to find kind of a as best as they kind of win, win, win situation for this. If you're looking for, yeah, if you're looking for small positives, I think that's probably the small positive. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head that they haven't let this become a summer saga. They haven't let it drag on and affect hopefully affect the transfer business it's very interesting that apparently Todd Bowley and Thomas Tuchel decided that this was the priority over incoming transfer business to sort the Lukaku situation out ASAP get complete clarity on that and then move on with the incoming business after that and get it sorted out early so it didn't fester and and you're right Brandon I think that is probably the only positive you can take out of that and it seems sensible you know it bodes it probably bodes well trying to trying to make this thing work or trying to see how time would affect it I mean we'd, I, I was worried that we were going to be in a situation where we didn't even know if he was going to turn up on the US tour and things like that we I remember we had that years ago with William Gallas we didn't know whether he was going to turn up on a US tour and stuff like that just kills pre-season and it kills preparations so yeah, but that you, you, I couldn't see a positive, but you've just shown me one there, Brandon. So good work. Happy to. <laughs> I mean, Harry Kane skipped preseason last season. That didn't go well. Uh, yeah. Dan, potential targets, huh? Because it's a well, pretty big hole in the squad he got to fill. Yeah, it's uh, not not just uh, from stature, but also uh, in terms of attack. You have some names that Matt have floated around, and you mentioned some of your piece as well. Raheem Sterling seems to be of interest to the club. So maybe how serious is, is that intent? How how do Tuchel and Bully feel about him? And then we know, obviously, Dembele has been linked for a pretty long time, particularly because of the Tuchel element and the potential of a free transfer but uh, it seems like that one maybe is cooled or stalled relative to um, to the Sterling links, which seems to have gotten extremely hot. Yeah, look, not, the Sterling thing yesterday on Sunday was quite interesting because not a lot has really changed since I first reported on Sterling about two weeks ago in that there is a strong interest there. But I think there was one report from someone saying that Chelsea had made actually made a bid. They haven't made a bid. Um, they, they are... Their, their interest in Sterling is real, you know, it, it's real and it's alive and it's quite strong. But they need to be sure what's happening on Lukaku before they can make final decisions on forwards. Because if Lukaku, if everything fell apart with Inter and Lukaku had to stay, which isn't going to happen, um, but that would change things. That would change the dynamics of things. So they, they've got to get that Lukaku one out to, to know exactly, have clarity on where they are. And then they will make some final decisions. So once Lukaku's gone, they're going to decide who to start sort of bidding for. And 
at the moment, I would say Sterling's at the top of that list, but they haven't actually bid for him yet. And they will have more talks on this. Um, and I don't think there'll, t- there'll be talks that take very long at all, but that they will make a decision on how much they're prepared to bid and, and whether to bid. And there will be a bit more clarity on that. But what I know they are aware of is it's impossible to replace probably Lukaku with a, a top-class out-and-out striker. Um, you know, Lewandowski is probably the only one out there and it, it looks like he's going to go to Barcelona. It doesn't really feel like he has much interest in coming to the Premier League. He never has done previously in his career. Um, and once you eliminate him and the fact that Haaland's gone, Nunes has gone, uh, and Bappe has obviously stayed put, there aren't there aren't those centre-forwards out there. There's just not as many of them around. So there's a there's an awareness that they have to look for the numbers elsewhere. And that's going to be the wide areas. You know, I think it'll probably be uh, an acceptance that Kai Havertz w- will start through the middle and, and whether they can get wide players who can also play through the middle, but wide players who also give some sort of guarantee of numbers. And I know that the Sterling links have polarised a bit of Twitter opinion among among Chelsea fans, but you can't help but argue that Sterling on a career basis has proven that he brings a guarantee of numbers. He produces goals and assists. Um, and that's what will be very attractive to them. I, I also wouldn't without them signing two full players over the course of the window. Um, you know, Lukaku's, Lukaku's pretty much gone. Someone will come in for him. And then if they can sell a Ziyech or a Werner or even maybe a Pulisic, they, I think they'd probably look to bring another one in too. And try and... One might be more positioned to, to fill the goals, someone like Sterling who does score a lot of goals from wide areas, and someone else might be actually to fulfill, bringing more numbers in way of assists. And that's probably where Tuchel certainly sees Dembele as a bit of a target because Dembele's goals record is not good. But in terms of assists, his record in the second half of the season at Barcelona last season was staggering, to be honest with you. Um, he he really does fancy Dembele, and I don't think the club have, have at all ruled it out, but Dembele's camp seems a bit of an odd camp, and they swing from one way to the other. So it's quite unpredictable to know quite what his his feeling is on everything. And Yeah, I mean, Sterling, double-digit goals in the last five seasons, but they're all with Man City, and they won the league the last four out of five seasons. So, you know, part of it is he's in a, in a really talented team, and there's a lot of chances. But Chelsea, well, all I would interrupt on that is Chelsea create a lot of chances that get missed. You know, Chelsea, I don't think the problem, someone might have wildly disagree with me on this, but the problem last season with Thomas Tuchel and even the problem under Lampard wasn't creating the chances. Chelsea create chances. They just don't finish them. They don't take them. Yes. Uh, the other thing is with Raheem is that he's Premier League proven which is something that we saw ended up being a huge blessing with Ben Chilwell as Chelsea were looking at, you know, kind of continental targets. He paid a little bit of a premium for Chile B and he jumped right in, which was great. Also, um, he's also, uh, people don't see this with Sterling. He's also actually a leader. He's in, in the England group. I think he's third in line for the captaincy, maybe second in line. No, third in line. It goes Harry Kane, Jordan Henderson, Raheem Sterling. He's third in line for the captaincy. He is in the leadership group. He's, he was in the leadership group for years at Manchester City. Um, he is he is a strong dressing room character. He is someone who might not be loud, but he leads by example. We've all seen how eloquent he is off the pitch in terms of some of his anti-racism campaigns and things like that. He would he would provide them with 
that Premier League experience, but also some leadership. I do, and someone who can take responsibility. And particularly with Rüdiger going, uh, we still don't quite know what's happening with Aspilicueta. But at the top end of the pitch with Chelsea, there's not been much leadership or people taking on responsibility. It's been young players coming from foreign leagues who aren't really equipped to take on that that, that role. And I do think I do think that would be valuable. And we spoke to, to Tuchel about this before within his squad. And I, I think that's something he's very aware of, trying to get more leadership and accountability in there. And for all intents and purposes, he's very much on the move, open to moving to another team in England. It's very plausible for him. From, from what I'm told, he would love to move to, Man, uh, to Chelsea. All right. Yeah. I, I think he, he his Man City time's up. And if he, I think if he wrote down a list of clubs of where he'd like to join, Chelsea would be right at the top of it. Thinking about players that Chelsea have on their books, one of those being Armando Broya, where does he fit into the puzzle here in terms of potentially coming back, potentially going on loan, potentially being make way for other deals? What what does his future seemingly hold as the amorphous blob of Chelsea's attack starts to retake shape? It's a good question. It will it will become clearer in the shakedown, and I know that's a bit of a get out answer because we don't quite know where the attack's heading at the moment. If if two attackers come in, then maybe Brozier goes out on on loan again or, or something. If one attacker comes in, I think Brozier would would be the club would want him to stay. I know the club are really keen to have a really good look at him and 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 see whether they can offer him an opportunity. Um, the problem is, I think Brozier himself, which we've seen now with quite a lot of these these Chelsea academy graduates who know how good they are, I think Brozier himself would be very reluctant. Um, to start as a substitute who who might get on for for ten minutes at the end of games and things and 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 plough his the next season like that having been you know a real linchpin of that Southampton team so it's going to depend slightly on the shakedown and I think the the two feelings of the two parties might be slightly different I think Chelsea would love to have him around no matter what and try and give him opportunities but I think he'll be quite determined to be sure that he is going to get those opportunities. As I say, if just a Sterling came in, then then I, I would think there's every chance that Brozier would stay. If it was Sterling and A another who came in, then then maybe Brozier would push to to get a loan move or something like that. I'd, it's a little bit difficult to say at this stage. Um, what about? I mean, and you can touch on or skip if there's not much going on. But I think Pulisic, Ziyech, and and Werner, uh, new Dodgers fan, Timo Werner, that is, as he made his way to LA. Um, any any kind of updates on them? Are they just in a holding pattern as it stands? I think the most likely one of the three to get a move would be ZH at the moment, just because the price on him is more attainable for a lot of European clubs um, because Chelsea bought him for 30-odd million and they, they might even still be able to make a small profit on him and, and still find someone who's going to be able to buy him. Um, what, what Chelsea would need to sell Werner and Pulisic and with their wages, makes the pool very, very small. I'm not saying it can't happen. I think there probably is a bit of interest, certainly from Germany, in both players, but it will take some movement in the market to create a situation. So we're waiting to see on that. I thought it was interesting, though, that Werner was was very quickly in the Dodgers' gear, out of the Dodgers. I don't think that necessarily means he's staying or anything, but I also think it means we know he's got a great attitude. And whereas... I'm not saying that Romelu Lukaku has a bad attitude. I don't want people to take that from this. But Romelu Lukaku is determined to leave and he has no other thought process. But you look at someone like Werner, whose future is in doubt. And I think probably 
if you were to ask him in an honest moment, probably would prefer to leave and, and try and play first team football all the time somewhere. But it shows his attitude that he's out there with the Dodgers thing on and everything. It, it doesn't strike me as a guy who's about to try and force things in the same way that, that Romelu has. Um, but I, I, I would probably in a bit of a wait and see pattern with him and Pulisic. And as I say, if the three, I would think that ZH is the easiest to, to try and sell at the moment. So, Matt, as we kind of transition to the other end of the pitch, I know that people are uh, probably happy to hear all kind of the updates you've been able to provide on, on Lukaku and others, but center back uh, as, you know, but underlined once, twice, three times as the area needing massive reinforcement given the departures of Christensen and Rudiger. Um, Kunde has been the primary name, primary target. Is that still on track given the uh, slight injury concerns, the the surgery that he had recently after international duty and kind of where the conversations might be sitting with Sevilla in, in terms of like where where it goes next for him? Can they figure out what a price is? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that that's the only thing. Look, I don't think there are any injury concerns from Chelsea's point of view over Kunde. I'm told that they were aware of this slight issue we had. I think it's fairly minor and everything's been very successful. They, they, they might want to just check in to see that this first part of the recovery has gone okay. But I, I don't think that comes into too much of it, apart from a bit of the timing issue. Uh, the, the thing is, is can you agree a fee with, with Sevilla? They're not they're not an easy club to deal with. Uh, Monchi's well-known as being a very tough negotiator. Um, but they also seem to have an acceptance that he will eventually go. I, I still think he will end up being at Chelsea. Um, I don't think any changes of, of Marina going or anything like that will, will necessarily change the course of action there. I, I think that that Thomas Tuchel was on board with it. So I, I still would put him uh, very high, if not right at top of the possibilities of, of defenders coming in of, of one I would expect to probably happen. Um I mean, the, the interesting one that, that's just come up in the last few days is whether Chelsea show any interest in Nathan Ake. Because I, I can tell you where this one is. So it's been made, it's been made, Chelsea have been made aware of the fact that Aki uh, may be sort of signable, which isn't actually a word, but I'm going to use it this this summer. Um, I think there's a, the feeling that, that Man City might take a bid for him and that Aki for certain clubs would would consider it and Chelsea would be among that. And Chelsea have certainly been made aware of that. And I don't think that notion has been dismissed by Chelsea. What I was very interested to find out is that Thomas Tuchel actually wanted to sign Aki for Borussia Dortmund back in the day and has held a little bit of an interest stroke admiration for Aki for, for quite a while. Um, now... I don't. Th- I haven't mentioned him up to now, so I don't think he was on an initial list of targets. But whether, when a conversation probably comes between Chelsea and Manchester City regarding Raheem Sterling, obviously putting four and four together and, and coming up with nine, would, would, can surmise that uh, Aki's name may well come up. Um, I just think at, the, at this stage, I wouldn't want to go too strongly on it, but I just think it's quite an interesting notion. And what I would say about Aki is he is the he obviously would fulfill that position that Rüdiger's left his his best position is on the left side of a back 3 he's way better in a back 3 than in a back 4 he can fill in at left back he can play in defence in midfield you wouldn't want him there all the time but he can certainly do jobs there and 
I think he's 27 now. He's got an enormous bank of English and Premier League experience under him. Now, my slight worry for Chelsea's defence this summer, even if they sign two very highly rated European centre-halves, let's say in fantasy land they got Koundé and De Ligt even, um, who is definitely among the, the targets, you're still bringing in, you know, defenders who have never played in England before, have no experience in the Premier League. And we've seen time and time again with Chelsea in recent years that that's been a real issue for players coming in from overseas and hitting the ground running. And if two of your back three are going to do that, I do think that is a risk. Um, so I do wonder whether there's a little bit of, of stock to be had in the fact of, you know, looking at someone who has got not just experience of England, but experience of the Premier League, experience of a top club, experience winning trophies, experience of Chelsea, knows Chelsea, knows come. I don't think it should be totally dismissed. Although, like I say, I, I wouldn't want to go too strong on it at the moment. I just think it's an interesting one to, to think about. Let's tap into Delict, maybe even Koulibaly, uh, potential chances that a centre-back from Italia arrives. Well, it seems a sensible place to go for, for centre-backs at the moment. There's a lot of highly rated centre-backs who seem to be attainable because obviously Serie A is not in the financial position of the Premier League and a few of these these players are playing at clubs who who are going to have to take bids on players. So um, it, there's a contract situation with Delict at, at Juventus, which has presented a, a window of opportunity for clubs to show an interest in him. Chelsea are most certainly interested in him. It would still be a very, very big deal. And we're also not quite sure where it stands with whether Juventus are about to offer him a very large new contract. But there's something there for sure. Um, Kulabali, I'm always worried about Kulabali. He's linked to the Premier League move every single summer going back. I can't remember how long and no one ever ends up taking him and he generally stays in Italy. I think there's noise coming out of Italy that he'll probably stay at Napoli now and, and be made captain. Um, so I just, I've become cynical to Kulabali and I just always think he ends up staying where he is. He's also, he's a fair age, although his experience could be seen again as a, as a strength within in, in the back three for Chelsea. Um, and then you've got some others. You've got Bastonia into Milan. You've got Skriniar into Milan. Inter Milan have to, I'm told Inter Milan do have to sell a player. They've got to raise about 50 to 60 million pounds to do what they want to do in the window themselves, other than Lukaku. They will have to sell one, and it feels like they might end up selling Skriniar and PSG are interested, but there's Skriniar, and then there's um, Gelson Bremer at Roma, who a lot of clubs are interested. I don't think he's hugely high on, on Chelsea's list at the moment, but Italy seems a good place to look for centre-halves this summer. There's a, there's a guy at AC Manor here who's quite good who might have been a decent shout for Chelsea. Oh, man. Yeah. We, we've we talked about him multiple times, but uh, love you, Fick. We'll have to we'll have to pause on that one. Uh, Dan, it's not all fun and games with incomings. There's still the uh, potential pain of outgoings. Yeah, and this is where I think it's going to become even more tricky for Tuchel and now Boley uh, leading the negotiation front with Alonso and Aspi still to have some type of resolution as well. Are they kind of being kept a, a little bit at arm's length in terms of what their options might be until we get some more clarity? Yeah, look, I, I know fans have got a little bit frustrated at what they see as a lack of business already, even though the, the new owners have only been in for sort of three weeks now. But 
I think what we've seen is they've had to do the season tickets. They've had to do the three sponsorship. They've obviously had a situation with Bruce. So there have to be a lot of meetings going on over that. Been a situation regarding Arena. Again, lots of talks and meetings. Uh, Bowley and Egg Barley went off to the Premier League meeting. There's just been a ridiculous amount of things to do. They've wanted to sort the Lukaku situation out. So there needs to be a little bit of patience on the incomings and the outgoings. And they will start to pick up now we're getting clarity on everything. You know, we're getting clarity. We've had clarity on the season tickets. We've had clarity on the sponsorship. We've had clarity. And the sponsorship might not be a thing that... I know the fans don't like three particularly, but it was a huge issue for the club. You know, probably bigger than who they're going to sign this summer in terms of revenues and things like that and something that needed sorting out. So we've got clarity on a lot of the big issues now. Bruce, Marina clarity is, is pretty much there. Um and Lukaku. So I think it will start, the wheels will start to churn into action. Um, I think we will start to get a sense over the next week or so of what's happened with Aspilicueta. I know talks were, were going to happen with him probably very swiftly after the Lukaku thing. Um, but the, the, the transfers out might actually wait until some transfers in. I think there'll be a There'll be a real rush then to, to try and get some incoming business and the wheels in motion on incoming business rather than the outgoing business. I think some of the outgoing business can wait then. I, I still think at least one more attacking player will probably leave come the end of the window. Um, and it's whether they get a bid on on Jorginho or someone like that. But again, there's a lot of time. It always feels like you're in this big rush, but there's a lot of time and I always say on incomings, ideally you want the incomings in for the start of pre-season training, which is pretty much when they go on the US tour because the international players wouldn't start until the US tour anyway. The non-international players, of which there are hardly any, would start a bit before that. But really, you know, players can't do anything until pre-season starts. So as long as you're getting people in for pre-season, it's not, it's not such a big, big deal. There'll be a lot of players they want to look at as well. There'll be a lot of players they want to look at. The one intriguing thing about it is, is where the loan... The lone army goes from, you know, Michael Emanalo led the lone army. Marina Granovsky took it on very well. Who who leads the lone army from now on will be very interesting, and it'll be very interesting whether any there's any policy shift within that under the new owners. But that that might be something that takes a little bit of time to become clear. People like Conor Gallagher will be given pre-season and have a close look at him. He's an interesting one because. The Premier League season starts so early on August the 6th that, that maybe those first two weeks of the Premier League season are going to be really key to what Conor Gallagher wants to do. Is Conor Gallagher going to get shown that he's going to get enough enough trust put in him in those first two weeks to really want to stay? Or could he look at the first two weeks and think, oh, I'm in trouble here. I want to play in the World Cup. I'm in England international. So some of those decisions are going to be quite late, I think. For sure. I talked with Phil at Chelsea Youth, you know, kind of an academy review. I believe Carlo Cuduccini is running that department um, at the time being. So uh, it's definitely different than Eddie Newton. Rules have changed. They can't have that lone army, uh, you know, as it used to be. Look, and we talked about some of the players coming back for preseason. You've got Levi Colwell, Ethan Ampadu, Dujon Sterling, probably some of the, the more common names being thrown around. But Levi Colwell definitely is the one with the most hype around him after Simon Huddersfield. He fills an immediate need as a left-footed center back, uh, outside back type player. Um, you know, again, minutes are going to be important in, on, you know, over here in America. Yeah, exactly. So the, the American tour actually is going to be much bigger for players like him and, and Gallagher than, than maybe the, the established 
um, players who we know will, will, will play huge parts. So that I always think on the tours that they're the really interesting subjects, these guys who might go on loan, might not go on loan. Can they show enough to change the manager's mind? Can we see how they're settling in with the first team? Can we see that they're ready for Premier League football? I, I think Colwell and, and Gallagher will be the, probably the, the two players, other than new signings, that I'm most interested in when we, we come over to the States in a few weeks' time. Um, I couldn't tell you at the moment where things stand on Colwell, to be quite honest with you. You know, we, they haven't signed any defenders yet. If you started the Premier League season today, Levi Colwell might even start. Do you know what I mean? They'd probably have to start. Um, but we obviously anticipate at least two new, new centre-backs coming in. So... And also, does Aspie go? It's impossible to predict that one at the moment. What I would say is I really hope, and I, I very much doubt it would happen, but I really hope that Chelsea don't get tempted on any bids on him. You, they don't want to be selling off talents like that um, at all. If anything, it would I would I would assume it would be a loan. But I don't, I don't know on him yet. It's impossible to tell. So uh, thinking about that, you know, I know we mentioned uh, Gallagher is one of those that obviously could come in and play a part in the midfield. We know that. Conte Jorginho are still kind of a resolution to be done and maybe at this point Bully and Tuchel are like let's not throw much more change into what is already an ever-changing situation here um are you getting any sense that those type of deals where we're talking about like renewals are on their agenda right now or is it more of like a singular focus to we got to get this Lukaku thing done. We have some ideas of what we do next, but before we do that, we, we, we can't really do anything else. They've just got the biggest to-do list ever. I mean, this is why I'm, I'm saying that you know, people who are getting frustrated is when you suddenly bring up new things and then you've got Mount factored in and Reese James factored in, who I know they want to reward. You can't just do everything at, at once. And people, on people, you know, players are still on holiday and things like that. Um, yeah, their their futures will be high on the agenda. Tuchel made it very clear at the end of last season that he didn't want to find himself midway through a season again with people on six months, their deals, being able to talk to overseas clubs and no one really knowing whether they're staying or going. So they will be high on the agenda. I suspect the highest thing on the agenda after Lukaku is starting to sort some incoming transfers out. Um, but yeah, that they will be high, but there's a, there's a to-do list as long as your arm is... We've said all along, and Tuchel's been very honest about it, it's a really difficult summer. It's a tough summer. It's There's no point pretending otherwise. It's a really tough summer. Ideally, this takeover would have been done much earlier, but certainly even if it had just been done one month earlier, it would have made a huge difference to the starting point that they're on for the summer. But they're, they're playing catch-up all over the place. Well, I mean, just I think one last request from the Chelsea fans, not that you have any sway input or anything, but look, a little Declan Rice. I see he's hanging out with Mount over here in America. Um, why not, right? Bring the bromance to Chelsea. I've said a few times, I'm not discounting it yet. I think there are there are other priorities to start with. Um, you know, the defense being the big priority and obviously sorting out some attacking uh, numbers, which, which Tuchel made it clear at the end of the season. But don't I'm not I'm not shutting the door on that yet. Way too early to shut the door on that yet. And if they can get other stuff done nice and quickly, and then all of a sudden they feel like really testing West Ham, then then you know why not? Declan Rice, I think would I'm, I'm still convinced Declan Rice would love it to happen. So because he's still turning down contracts and seems to be at least keeping his options open in general. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I think West Ham have signed a centre back today, but he he will want to see a a huge shift in transfer policy from from West Ham to change his ideas on 
where he wanted his career to go. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out yet. It wouldn't surprise me if later on in the transfer window that that starts to gather some pace. But the the, the big priorities at the two other ends of the pitch at the moment, they've taken over through circumstance, really. Though it's so weird, isn't it? Because this time last last year, we'd have sat here and we'd have said, right, get Lukaku done. Lukaku's the final piece in this jigsaw for now. You can sort out some contracts here and there. And then next summer, talking about this summer, I think we'd have been talking about go hard on a really top-class central midfielder like Declan Rice and maybe for some future planning bringing a centre-back as well. That would be the two you would have suspected. Everything turned on its head. Everything completely turned. And it's why when, when we sit here talking about what will happen, what will happen, it's so hard to predict. Uh, absolutely, which is why we get to have you on a couple times a month to keep us sorted. <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, look, you know where to find all of Matt's stuff. Uh, follow his Twitter. That's where you can plug uh, all of his articles and things and, and, and whatnot. So um, off to an exciting start, huh, Matt? Yeah, quite, quite. Let's see. Uh, I think it's going to be, it's been, a, it's not been quiet a couple of weeks, but this thing's been going on. I think the next couple of weeks are, are going to get, uh, things are going to speed up a bit more. I think there's going to be a bit more going on the next couple of weeks in the lead up to America. Good, good. Um, we, we'd love to break news with you live stateside. That would be fun. <laughs> uh, Dan. Appreciate your time, man. The early morning grind never stops for you out on the West Coast. So if uh, if any of you other West Coasts out there, send Dan a tweet. Tell him you appreciate it. 6 a.m. wake-up call for a little Matt Law pot is well worth it. Always the case. Always the case. And we're ready to bring Matt back to uh, a little bit of beer time with uh, the three of us together. Can I come and, this uh, time? No, yeah. no Budweiser, no calls <laughs> is my only request. <laughs> Uh, don't worry. Between us, uh, we have a lot of bourbon and craft beer recommendations, so I no worries. Say, I hear there's a lot of good IPA out there and stuff like that. So Not wrong. All right. Well, anyways, just fans, go tweet it, Matt. Thank him for jumping on the pod. There's going to be a lot more coming out of this one, um, but we appreciate his time and everything. So until next time, just fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.